0: To the listeners,
1: and we have also uh, joining us on the line uh, for this morning's discussion, uh, Angela Mudukuti from the International Criminal Justice uh, Southern African Litigation Centre. Thanks for speaking to us this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, um, Minister, let me start with you. On um, you, you've explained some of you know uh, the issues, some of the contentious issues that people brought up about, you know, choosing, for example, impunity over justice, etc., etc., even though I'm, I know people will ask more questions about that later on. But I want to talk about the process of going about this particular withdrawal from the ICC. Um, there are those who are of the view that this should have been, um, the ball should have been set rolling by Parliament, that this should have been discussed in Parliament, and that there also should have been a public participation process to accompany that. So what exactly is the process?
0: Section 231 of the Constitution um, entitles the executive, um, national executive, sole responsibility to negotiate and sign international agreements. Um, By the same token, uh, it empowers the national executive to renegotiate and to, if there is an English word like that, unsign those agreements. It is only once the national executive has exercised that constitutional power that everything else follows. And in exercising that constitutional power, the national executive does not engage in negotiations with parliament. Um, it has never happened. We enter into thousands of uh, international agreements and that is the procedure. That's always been the procedure, not only here, but under international law as well.
1: So essentially it is a fait accompli, and uh, we are now going through the motions to get to that point where uh, we are no longer a signatory to the Rome statutes.
0: What needs to happen? <clears throat> you see, there are three stages that can take place. Not always, when it comes to... Uh, entering into and um, uh, implementing international agreements. Uh, The first stage is that the executive decides as a policy um, of government to enter into negotiations and accede to or sign particular agreements at its discretion. It's an executive um, discretion. Once the executive has acted as such, um, the executive, for that uh, instrument to become binding and part of South African uh, law, it must be submitted to parliament for ratification. And the third stage is that if parliament feels that the uh, nature of that instrument is such that it must be infused into our domestic law it then passes an Act of Parliament that outlines in detail how that international agreement is going to find expression in our own domestic law. That's what is called domestication of the international instrument. Now, in this instance, all three stages took place. Now, what you then have to do is that even though you have, uh, if you like, um Uh, unsigned that agreement uh, by issuing notice that you intend to withdraw from it under the uh, provisions of that same statute the next stage that you have to do is to deal with the legislation that has since been passed to give domestic expression to that international uh, agreement under uh, under domestic law now That is the prerogative of Parliament. In other words, until Parliament repeals the law that domesticated this statute, uh, that law remains binding law in South Africa. It means we will not have an international agreement in place, but we'll have a domestic act that requires of us to do the things that are contained in that law. And that's why the next stage is to approach Parliament not to seek approval to withdraw from the international agreement, but to actually uh, pilot or sponsor a repeal bill that seeks to repeal the Domestication Act. That is the procedure in law.
1: And that's where we are at right now. So Angela Mutukuti, um, uh, uh, the um, Southern African Litigation Centre, you've always been, you know, on the forefront when it comes to um, keeping an eye on developments uh, with regard to human rights and human rights abuses, uh, not just regionally, but on the continent, uh, more broadly speaking. And you are one of those centres who've been very unhappy with these latest developments.
2: Absolutely. Um, and with all due respect to the Minister, we must say that our position is that the correct procedure has not been followed simply for the reason that Parliament is vested in terms of the Constitution with legislative authority. And Parliament decides when something is binding on the Republic or not. And as it stands, the Implementation Act is binding on the Republic. And so for the Cabinet to go forward and initiate withdrawal without repealing the Implementation Act is inconsistent with the Constitution. And also for Parliament, for the Cabinet to do this without public consultation, without the proper parliamentary procedures, doesn't bode well for the future of this country and respect for rule of law and the Constitution itself. So we disagree with the procedure, we also disagree with the substantiation for this move, because the ICC is an important institution that requires critical and constructive engagement from states, not states not for states to abandon the institution. It is not perfect. It does require reform, and we would hope that South Africa, along with the other African countries who have genuine grievances, would lead reform within the ICC. But if South Africa abandons the ICC, there can be no reform, because you cannot change it from outside, but must be inside to effect change.
1: And then, Minister, to that, uh, I think uh, Major General kind of makes the same point here on Twitter, saying have you even tried to push for transformation of that particular institution uh, before making this uh, withdrawal? Because if you think about it, um, the ICC, as it stands, the ICC is the world's first permanent international criminal court, and and as such, you know there was bound to be some hiccups, you know, uh, and 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 uh, some things would go wrong. But why didn't South Africa rather stay the course and try to transform it from within?
0: The reality is that as we speak, South Africa's uh, international diplomatic system is being held to ransom. Actually, there are sitting heads of states who have deferred their visits to South Africa uh, over the past year because of this legal uncertainty. So as a country, we find ourselves in a situation where we are unable to prosecute fully our international policy, which is critical for the very survival of our nation because we don't exist in isolation in the world. We have to work with other nations of the world to promote peace, but also to promote prosperity for our own nation and for other nations as well. For as long as, I mean, if you take the AU summit, that summit was about dealing with the challenges in Africa, Uh, issues of uh, stability in Africa and peace, but also looking at issues of development, they were almost derailed by this situation. We don't think that as a country this can ever be in our interest or in the interest of the African continent. But talking about the concern about the procedure, I mean, I I just hear people talking in generalities. Uh, They're not pointing to me which provision of the constitution, sanctions what they are calling for. I've just explained that, of course, parliament makes law in the republic, but read the same constitution. It says national policies the preserve of the executive. But more specifically, 231, only the executive negotiates and signs international agreements. It does not require the permission of parliament. It does not need to consult parliament. It does not need to go out to the public and negotiate that now we want to enter into this or that agreement. That certainly didn't happen when we entered into the ICC system. It was a prerogative of the executive. And that happens with thousands of agreements that we and many other nations in the world enter into. That is the procedure. That is the law.
1: When you talk about policy uncertainty, um, you know, uh, talking about the law where South Africa seems to be uncertain about certain things, why is South Africa uncertain? I mean, isn't it clear uh, that as a signatory to the Rome statutes uh, that we need to abide by whatever it is that we appended our signature to?
0: Well, (laughs) if there was clarity and certainty, we wouldn't be where we are today
1: so what is unclear about it
0: what isn't clear is that starting with the rome statute itself there's an article 27 that seemed to suggest that uh, diplomatic immunity is trumped when it comes to people who are indicted under the rome statute article 98 on the other hand seemed to suggest differently that the diplomatic immunity that sitting heads of states and others Enjoy under international customary law, continues as law and therefore supersedes any such um, uh, uh, obligations. Now, in the face of that legal impasse, we approached the ICC uh, ASP, Assembly of State Parties, which is the constitutive body of the ICC. It's the body that creates the ICC system. Uh, made out of about 124, 127 uh, countries. I can remember South Africa being part of it. We approached them in November last year. We said to them, under international law of interpretation of statutes, it is their prerogative and nobody else's to uh, uh, resolve that impasse by providing interpretation. Conversely, simply amend the statute and provide clearly what the legal position should be, whichever that position might be, so that there is legal certainty to all parties who are party to this thing. They referred us to to the Bureau. They didn't want to engage. They said um, we should go back to the court, which we have issues with because uh, of uh, differences of opinion with with regard to interpretation. We had hoped that they would live up to their constitutional uh, responsibility and give interpretation, to put this to bed, to this day, nothing has come out of it. And as a country, we cannot be held to ransom forever. We need to move on. There is work to be done. We need to resolve conflicts in Africa. We need to deal with the developmental challenges of Af- Africa collectively with fellow African countries. We can't do that for as long as these uncertainties continue to mm-hmm. um, impede us.
2: Angela? Let me just start by saying, currently, as it stands, there is only one head of state who is wanted by the ICC. Uhuru Kenyatta's case is passed, as is his deputy's case. So there is only one. So when the minister speaks of heads of state, this is a misrepresentation of the situation. There is only one person in question here. Second of all, I point the minister to Section 72, Section 59, and Section 43 of the Constitution that speak of Parliament's responsibility in terms of legislation and determination as to what is binding on the country. And third of all, I must say that the ICC issued a judgment directly for South Africa's purposes in June two thousand and fifteen, reminding South Africa of its duty to arrest President Omar al-Bashir for subsequent transit to The Hague. There was no... There is no misconception about this or lack of clarity. It was very clear. And this judgment is on record with the government and also available on the ITC website. So the issue of South Africa's commitment, domesticated in terms of the Rome Statute, also very clear. And this is because South Africa, when it was ratifying and domesticating the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, made a conscious decision to follow Article 27 of the Rome Statute, which speaks to the fact that their official capacity is irrelevant with regard to the prosecution or transfer of individuals to the ICC. So the law on this is very clear. And I would also like to say that the Implementation Act was was enacted after the Diplomatic and Immunities Privilege Act. So it was enacted with knowledge of that and directly to deal with that issue should it ever arise. So the law is clear on this.
0: (laughs) She makes me smile. (laughs) Why are you smiling? (laughs) I'm smiling because she must explain to you why the Supreme Court of Appeal has given a different perspective to that very same question. The Supreme Court of Appeal has ruled that although South Africa was in breach of its own domestic law, which has created our own domestic problem in regard to uh, coming across as uh, the uh, Rome Statute Domestication Law Uh, superseding or suppressing the earlier law that uh, enabled South Africa to extend diplomatic immunity uh, six months earlier, Uh, the court said that we were in breach of that domestic statute. However, the court said this does not mean that the law affording or according diplomatic immunity under international customary law has now... Been uh, uh, subverted by the Rome Statute. So, 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 if even the courts are not in agreement, and she says this complete certainty about this, I don't know which world she comes from. Uh, but in fact, the, the uh, ICC Judicial Chamber itself has given conflicting judgments in different situations on the same question. So, so, so this matter is not as simple as she wants to make it to be. That's the reality. But coming to the other uh, 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 provisions of the Constitution she's alluding to, those have to do with the powers of Parliament to make law in the Republic. We don't contest that. Of course, the Parliament has domesticated this law by passing an Act of Parliament. Only Parliament can undo that, and we're not contesting the powers of parliament in that regard. But that's not the issue. She's not addressing herself to Section 231, which has no reference to parliamentary involvement in the negotiation or otherwise of international instruments. There is no reference to any of the requirements that she's writing into the Constitution. Where does she get the authority to amend the Constitution? It needs a two-thirds majority to amend the Constitution of this country. And where does she get the power to amend international law anyway? I was in 2007, if I were to to, to inform you, in Bangkok, representing the inter-parliamentary union to advocate for parliaments of the world to participate in negotiation of international instruments because international law does not provide for parliaments to participate in that space is the prerogative of executives throughout the world that is the law
3: it's your favorite time of the morning the forum at eight with sakina Kamwendo. favorite time of the morning on am live
1: and welcome back to the Forum at 8. This morning we are discussing uh, the uh, South African government's withdrawal from the ICC. Unpacking that and also answering your questions. Minister Michael Masuta, the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services is here with us. And we also have uh, from uh, the Southern African Litigation Centre criminal justice lawyer Angela Mutukuti. And of course the lines are open 0891-104-208. Uh, and a few people have been uh, waiting there. We appreciate your patience. Let's start with Ntobego uh, in uh, East London. Good morning.
3: Thank you, ma'am. Good morning. Um, to put it mildly, I'm battling to understand the presentation of the minister. Um, clarity here. Um, it seems to me there is a reason in the um, Foreign Affairs or International Relations Department to exercising this move that has been done. It that the, the situation where South Africa finds itself in relations to the ICC and how it has treated um, President al-Bashir is a situation that puts South Africa at odds with this legislation in as far as diplomatic immunity is concerned. I would like that to be confirmed first because my, my intervention is based on that. And if the minister can confirm if that effect is the result, if it is the reason then um it 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 puts us in a difficult situation that the executive can go around the world uh purportedly presenting our interests commits south africa in a manner that is known is in negation of our local legislation why didn't therefore the um, executive including international relations go back to parliament the people that it accounts to to say we have an interest in uh, uh, President Al Bashir and uh, his peers, and um, in entertaining them. But we are likely to find ourselves in conflict with the um, commitments that we have had, either as because of the legislation or because of our international uh, relations. Can I have that clarified, please?
1: Thank you so much. Tobago Solomon M Sabuyalingana, Good morning.
4: Good morning, Sakina, and to the minister and the other guests and the listeners. I really, we must appreciate what uh, the cabinet, or rather in particular the minister, has done to begin a process of withdrawing, because ICC seemingly has got a separate justice for African leaders and a separate justice for Western and and, and European leaders, and it is anti-African and it um, seeks to undermine the integrity of the people from Africa who elect their leaders and are subjected to unfair and selective treatment. It is not going to take us anywhere because fundamentally, ICC, it appears, has refused blatantly to alter and change uh, clauses which are not compatible with our own african situation so it is not going to take us anywhere because it is inequitable you've got uh, the uh, former president of u.s george washington bush who launched uh, an attack uh, on iraq on the basis of the existence of uh, weapons of mass destruction which were never were never were never discovered Tony Blair is going spot free but then why are they hell-bent at pursuing African leaders and African leaders alone I think we because are African
1: leaders have ratified the Rome statutes whereas the United States the UK have not
4: yeah but then on the global scale we, 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 we are equal atrocities are the same whether committed by USA or Britain or committed by al-Bashir it's the same thing, it's wrong then why why, why the, 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 the UN in particular does not subject such big countries who are busy launching all over the, the, the globe, subjecting that to ICC, but everybody is making noise that African leaders must go to ICC when everybody is doing willy-nilly. Thank you,
5: Safina.
1: Okay, thank you, Solomon. Ngabayomzi uh, good morning to you.
5: Uh, morning, Sakina, and morning to the SAFM listeners as well, and to your panelists. The issue here is that I think we did express it as a party when the debate was held in Parliament, that it does indeed seem that at the ICC some are more equal than others. And we said when we concluded that debate that uh, maybe, considering all the factors and the issues that the Minister has highlighted, that we should review our membership there. But... I think the the point about reviewing, we're saying, maybe the first step would be to try and transform that institution. And then if that fails, and then the next step would be to try and build those institutions in Africa. That would deal with human rights violations. And And then... begin the process of gradual withdrawal from the ICC. Our concern, my concern, primarily from where I'm sitting right now is that it feels like we're going to withdraw there without having put in place, or even if we've put in place, we haven't ensured yet the effectiveness of those institutions in Africa. But Sakina, before before I go, I want to, uh, to, to make an appeal, if I may, uh, using the, this platform to say, uh, on the 14th of this month I wrote a letter to the Speaker asking the Speaker to sustain Parliament so that as members of Parliament we can be able to go and, and be part of the FISM well, try to find solutions to help and work with our students. She hasn't responded apart from just acknowledging the of that correspondence, and more than a week later she has not responded. Now I've decided to take it a, a step further by saying, I want to now use this platform to appeal to young parliamentarians, young parliamentarians to say those are our peers who are being shorted by the police on a daily basis. It it hurts me a great deal when I see young people being persecuted for fighting for a just cause. I think now the time has come for us as young parliamentarians across the political spectrum to sit together and chat away for it to say what kind of intervention and solutions can we bring to the table.
1: Okay. We Tell need you to what, make Mr. sure we engage Quang.
5: our students.
1: We, we, we'll pick up this with you tomorrow morning uh, because, you know, separate issues. So we'll speak to that tomorrow morning. We'll touch base with you just to understand that call better. Uh, let's go to Newlands now. Mike, good morning.
6: Uh, good morning to you, uh, SK, and good morning to the minister and your guest. I have looked high and low for, for if evidence of where you have disputed or complained to the ICC minister, and I can see almost nothing. This is really what, let's get cut to the brass tacks Really what you're doing is you're just playing word games with what is essentially a very serious topic. And what really concerns me most of all is we've never, ever reflected back on Nelson Mandela, the man that got us the freedom today and, and that is so proud of the country. He said human rights would be our guiding light. He also went on further to say, and this is in the interest of uh, about conflict and and rogue nations. He said, uh, this uh, might uh, had these these abuses might not have occurred, or at least minimised, had there been an effective international criminal court. You know, we don't refer back to Nelson Mandela anymore. Uh, it, it's like we've stuck another knife in his back. We walk all over his grave with contempt. Uh, we need to really take into account what this man said and why he said it if we look at where we're coming from now, you're asking us, Minister, as, 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 as a country, as people in this country, to, to to take an argument on board that comes from a President that's failed to uphold the Constitution. Your very chief whip is suggesting that the President and the NEC step down. We have no credibility, uh, Minister, at all to say, okay, I tell you what, forget the ICC, uh, don't worry about the fact that there's nothing in its place, there is something, but it's a pathetic little body which has no respect. We'll, we'll invite people to our country minister and we'll mediate. Who are we as South Africans with our poor track record of Americana and, and people like Tutani who we massacred in cold blood and the president's still remains in the country to offer our services. It's an absolute nonsense and we are playing a very very dangerous game and I do hope minister that you've turned the picture of Nelson Mandela to the wall at Latudi House because I certainly can't look him in the eye any longer. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you uh, Mike and let's just hear from Wanagela in Kailicha. Good morning. Bona Ghele? not there. Let's go to Middleburg. Mike, good morning. Hello, Mike. Okay, seemingly some problems there with the lines, but let us respond to the questions that have been raised. Um, Firstly, let's look at the alternative. If we withdraw from the ICC, many people are asking, what is the alternative? How do we then go about holding people accountable for human rights atrocities on this continent?
0: Well, first of all, let's uh, be clear that there isn't a vacuum in the law, strictly speaking. Uh, In South Africa, we had to deal with apartheid atrocities. We had the law, domestic law, to deal with that. Reconciliation and where people didn't come forward, we prosecuted. There are people who are sitting in jail as we speak because of those atrocities every day. As part of my work, I consider requests from all over the world for the extradition of persons who are fugitives of uh, justice uh, for various crimes and, of course, we cooperate and those people get to be tried in in their respective countries in terms of their domestic laws. Certainly, any of these violators of human rights when the opportunity comes in their countries, it is possible that they can be prosecuted there under those laws. but beyond that, um, there is um, efforts uh, at a u level to strengthen our human rights institutions. We have deployed our own judges from South Africa to serve on the uh, uh, the AU, uh, the uh, african uh, court of uh, court of uh, of justice. Uh, for example. So it is an existing institution.
1: How effective is it? How well is it um, uh, basically staffed? And and, and is it effectively running as an institution at this point?
0: Well, I'll concede that more work needs to be done to strengthen it Uh, that I do not disagree with. But why must those concerns, and remember, this are not about problems with our own domestic situation of enforcing human rights. It's about advancing human rights elsewhere in the world. So let's be clear, uh, talking of national interest, and I'm not saying that the human rights elsewhere in the world is not uh, uh, significant, but let's be clear about something. As South Africa, we achieved our own democracy and freedoms and our current constitutional dispensation through negotiation and dialogue. That's what Uh, Nelson Mandela, former President Nelson Mandela actually led this country into a negotiated political settlement. So anybody who's saying we're not following Mandela, let them tell me what is it in this that is not written Mandela all over it. Is it not Nelson Mandela who taught us to advance peace and stability and to achieve reconciliation in the world through negotiation and dialogue, how is that inconsistent with the Mandela philosophy? Somebody must assist me. But talking about the other matters that have been raised, um, first of all, uh, it's not true that we did not strive to engage the ICC on this matter. Um, The fact that uh, the caller could not find anything on the website about what we've done. Well, I don't know about that. But the reality is, if you go to the records of the ICC in November last year, we insisted that this matter should be... um, on the uh, uh, the agenda of the ICC, initially there was objection. Eventually we were given an audience and there was a debate on this matter. And it was, in fact, further referred to the uh, uh, Bureau. So there was an engagement. And to say that um, that didn't happen is actually simply not true. Uh, <clears throat> the issue that's being raised, uh, raised uh, relating to... Uh, uh, I want to agree that um, Indeed there is a double standard Uh, The uh, Cases that Get to be prosecuted by the ICC are by and large Referred to it by The Security Council Key members of the Security Council that have veto powers And that actually uh, Effectively refer these matters Are themselves not party to that statute Isn't that a double standard? shouldn't you be leading by example? If you have the authority to determine who should appear before that court, shouldn't you be the first to say, we commit ourselves to this uh, whole dispensation? Why should you exercise that power but not want to be part of it? It's like having your cake and eat it. So it is true that there is a double standard, and it's not just a... a, um, a, um, a,
1: So we would rather rather join those forces on the wrong side of the moral divide is what we are
0: saying. We are saying that we cannot be party to a system that creates confusion in international law, which confusion impedes us to execute our own international policy. Because then what is the purpose of our participating there? How is it assisting us? and that is the issue we're saying it is it was perfectly within the capacity of the icc to remove this uncertainty to ensure that this not just for south africa by the way for the world at large because you cannot have a situation and like i said our own uh, courts have affirmed that international law governing diplomatic immunity continues despite the provisions of um, of the icc so, so, so already the are judicial and within the ICC judicial chamber itself, there has been conflicting um, interpretations, as I've said. So, it's not a simple matter of us, um, you know, suddenly waking up and, for political expediency, deciding not to be a uh, party to this. Uh, <clears throat> and um, yeah, I've addressed this mm. issue.
1: Let's uh, let's give uh, Angela a chance to respond to those calls.
2: First of all, with regard to the Supreme Court of Appeal hearing, you'll note that the state vehemently and adamantly appealed the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment. In fact, the day the minister announced that South Africa would draw that case, we received papers responding in that case. So it's very clear that the legal argument, as far as the state is concerned, persists and continues the very same day we received legal papers. And the Supreme Court of Appeal made it clear that South Africa had violated its duties, yet the state now wants to say they agree with the judgment, yet they've been appealing it for the past six months. I think there's some inconsistencies there. And secondly, with reality to the African criminal justice landscape. There is no African court with criminal jurisdiction to try genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. There is an initiative to develop this court, but it includes immunity for heads of state and senior government officials. So you try telling the victims of these crimes that they need to wait for so-and-so to step out of power before they receive justice. I don't think this is a sustainable system. In South Africa itself, the minister has spoken about PRC prosecutions. Sakina, you will remember the case of Nukutula Simulani, a matter we've been working on for a few years now. It has taken... Since 1983, we've been trying to obtain justice for for the prosecution of her murder. And it has taken far too long, and she's one of many cases. So I don't think we should reflect on the TRC as the perfect system. And also, we have to remember that regionally, the SADC tribunal, which used to be able to hear grievances from individuals, has now been stripped of that capacity and will become an interstate court. And South Africa's very own president signed on that protocol. So we do have a justice statute And in South Africa, if we repeal the Implementation Act, that is the legislation that governs the prosecution and investigation of genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. If you repeal that legislation, there will be a gap. There's a question here,
1: and, and I think this is a valid one from Zugisi. Mzugisi says what he wants to know is how we joined the ICC in the first place, what motivated us to do it then, And what has changed now?
0: Am I allowed to respond? Please. In fact, it ties in with the other earlier question where we haven't responded, and that is the fact that um, the court has adjudged us to um, have been in breach of our own domestic law in that we, having passed an act that, um, as the court has now ruled, trumped an earlier act, that uh, extended diplomatic immunity, uh, that effectively we should have approached Parliament and had that latter act uh, repealed or amended to remove that contradiction. Now, let me indicate the following. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, we, we withdrew the appeal not necessarily because we agree with everything Uh, that the SCA came to the conclusion on. But on a balance, we felt that um, it is important that we prioritize issues here. There was a bigger principle that we felt that the court articulated, which we thought should take precedence in our decision whether to proceed or not. And we felt that that precedent was important. And that is the acknowledgement of continued application of international customary law that extends diplomatic immunity. We thought that that acknowledgement for us was the bigger issue. The reason we had appealed was with regard to the other issue, which is uh, a finding by the uh, North Houting High Court earlier that we were in breach of our own domestic law by not effecting an arrest uh, because, according to the court, uh, court, we had an obligation to do that. Now, the the Supreme Court of Appeal seems to have upheld that position, and that was what we were appealing. But on the balance, we felt that the bigger principle, having been upheld by that court, and the fact that we had now decided to withdraw from the ICC as well as pilot legislation to repeal the Domestication Act, we felt that taking all three aspects into consideration, it was better to opt for abandoning that that, that appeal. So, so that is the context. In fact, they themselves acknowledge in their own papers that, um, and they disagree, of course, with the court, with the SCA. That's why they were going to um, challenge our, our appeal. They disagree with the finding of the SCA with regard to the bigger principle that I've just outlined. But, of course, it's their, it's their, it's their view.
1: All right. I just want to take the last batch of calls. Mike in Middleburg, good morning to you.
0: Morning, Sakina. Thanks for having me. Uh,
3: this is the right step in the right direction, Sakina. And those who argue that we must uh, uh, seek transformation from within must look not further than the UN itself. I mean, uh, that call has been made inside the UN for donkey years, but to date, nothing has happened. And, uh, Sakina, it is so interesting that uh, organizations like DA, when George Bush and um, Tony Blair invaded Iraq, killing scores of people, we never heard even a single voice from them. It means uh, those innocent souls, uh, mainly women and children, you know, were of less quality than perhaps those who were killed uh, by al-Bashir in, in Sudan. So we're saying this is the right step in the right direction. Mm. Let us withdraw.
1: So, Mike, if we take this to its natural conclusion, should we withdraw from the UN as well? Ah, huh? Mike gone there. Uh, Bonagale in Kailicha, good morning.
7: Thank you very much, uh, sakin and good morning to your place. Uh, there's one thing I can tell you with me with regard to this. Uh, it, it, it's not going to make any difference even if they withdraw, they, they because there's some kind of dictatorship that is growing among these African leaders. For instance, there's one thing that I've, I'm not quite sure of uh, with regard to forming their own court, if there will be prostit- prostitution with regard to the violation of human rights. Let's take, for instance, with a lawnmill Marikana case, miners. How do we deal with such cases? You know, we, we must not forget such things, you know, with those people that were killed in Marikana. You see, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if probably because they don't want to be prosecuted, prosecuted by the that I, ICC, but because of uh, George Bush and uh, this, uh, you understand? That's mm-hmm.
1: where my point is. It doesn't make any difference to me. I, okay. I, I, I think I understand what you are saying, Bonagale. Felix in Outspread. good morning.
7: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Actually, uh, it's obvious that the minister knows the letter of the law, but unfortunately he does not understand the essence and the spirit of the law. And I'm saying this because he has articulated very well the letters of the law. But one thing he refused to understand is this this is a constitutional democracy. There is no way the executive, or the government for that matter, can take any decision without consulting its with people. Otherwise, who are you leading? Leading us to where? We are the people that you are leading. And you are not trained on the radio that you don't need to consult people. You don't need to consult our parliament to consult the people before you take decisions on our behalf. And again, let me just explain this. It is not, doesn't make any sense that we will say because we are not prosecuting uh, Bush and, 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 and Blair. Therefore, we must not prosecute our own dictators that are killing our own people. How does that make any sense? There is a sense in this country that even the justice system is biased towards the rich. So the poor people like me must withdraw from our justice system because it is biased against the poor.
1: Okay, we lost Felix there. Okay, but we have to wrap it up. Angela, let me start with you.
2: Okay, uh, thank you, Sakina. Just to say that, first of all, with regard to the minister's withdrawal of the constitutional court hearing, again, we have a problem with procedure here. Rule 27 of the constitutional court rule says that there must be an agreement with all the parties, and then the chief justice must direct so. So the state cannot unilaterally withdraw from the constitutional court case. That's the first thing. second thing is, still procedurally with regard to withdrawal from their own statute. Our position is that it hasn't been done properly. And as the last caller made clear, the state needs to comply with the Constitution and respect the Constitution and all its implications. And I think that for as long as we don't have domestic courts that can prosecute international crimes and we don't have an African regional court that can do the same, we need to support and engage with the ICC. And South Africa's attempts to engage with the ICC at the ASP, this has been a matter that started in June 2015. Engaging for a few months is not sufficient. You need to be committed to thorough engagement. Thank you. Minister? <coughs>
0: First of all, <laughs> look, the people of South Africa, the fate of the people of South Africa and of Africa cannot be held to ransom because of a situation uh, of some kind of impasse which some, uh, you know, body out there feels that um, it, it's not interested in assisting to resolve until when do we wait? Uh, That's the difficulty I have Um, because life must go on. Africa is in need of development. We cannot arrest uh, Africa's uh, uh, legitimate uh, 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 right to assert its right to development. And we cannot achieve development in Africa for as long as nations of Africa cannot come together together. Peacefully, without threat of their heads of states being arrested, when they come to meetings to discuss about the future of this continent, I I, I don't know where where the. the a people's politics come from on this question. But surely, Minister, equally, heads of
1: state should also not be allowed to, with impunity, abuse uh, uh, human rights in their countries. And if that were to happen, surely people should have an alternative as to what they can do and who they can approach in that regard.
0: That's precisely why we need to strengthen our own domestic institutions in Africa to address this issue.
1: But then we come up with a Bamako protocol that says that a sitting head of state cannot be prosecuted, so you you, have to wait
0: do you want to do? Regime change? It's been attempted. No, in it's Iraq. not regime change. It's been, I mean, when you arrest a sitting head of state, what is it? It's regime change. So, so, so a sitting head of state, of state can then, with
1: impunity, violate human rights
0: and, saying, and should,
1: not, should not be held accountable.
0: I am saying which country on earth in the history of this world has ever impounded a sitting head of state and put them to trial? Let the Americans do it first. Let them lead. Is that our benchmark
1: now? Is that the yardstick for the morality that we wish to embrace? Our
0: morality is to promote peace through dialogue. That's how Mandela got South Africa to where it is today.
1: We're going to
4: park
0: it there. I'm
1: sure there's much more in this debate and we'll come back to it.